0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: The moments, the memories. This is the Heroes of the 500.
2: He is sputtering slow and he hits the wall! He hits the wall! Coming out
3: of...
1: Their name is synonymous with victory at the world's greatest race course.
4: There's a checkered flag for Bobby Unser, winner of the 1968 500-mile race. Al Unser, the checkered flag, the winner of the 1970
3: Indianapolis 500-mile race. Goodyear makes a move. Little Al wins by just a few tenths of a second. Perhaps the closest finish in the history of the Indianapolis.
1: But their story
5: is one of both triumph and tragedy at the Brickyard. It's it's on both sides, you know. My my uncle Jerry was the first duncer to get back here in, in the late 50s, and um, and the, you know the, the the Speedway took his life. But sadly, in
1: 2022, we will be celebrating the greatest spectacle in racing without two of its greatest competitors. On May 2nd, 2021, three-time winner Bobby Unser passed away at the age of 87. And then just a few months later on December 9th, 2021, Al Unser passed away at 82. Over the next two hours, we will not only celebrate the lives of Bobby and Al Unser, but the amazing Unser family of Albuquerque, New Mexico, who have thrilled fans at 16th and Georgetown for decades. This is Heroes of the 500, The Amazing Unsers on 93 WIBC. The Unser family is best known for their nine Indianapolis 500 wins, but their story starts out west, where they dominated the legendary Pikes Peak Hill Climb. As a group, they boast 39 wins in the Race to the Clouds. That tradition was started by the original Unser brothers, Louis Jr., Joe, and Jerry Unser Sr. But while the first Unser to qualify for the Indianapolis field wouldn't happen until the late 1950s, there were actually plans for an appearance far earlier than that. Speedway historian Donald Davidson.
6: Louis and brothers Jerry, Jerry Sr. and Joe, they all ran Pikes Peak. They were Pikes Peak regulars. And supposedly they were going to run Indianapolis in, in 1930. Oh, 29, I think is one version. Well, if you see the three cars that they're sitting in, they're clearly not eligible for 1929 specifications and I th- and, and uh I think way, maybe where the misunderstanding is that Coleman uh, was, a, was an automobile company that ran race cars in 1930, uh, front-drive cars. And there's a photo of Uncle Louie in one of those cars. And I, I think the intent was that they – that the, and the drivers were Phil Schaefer and Lou Moore were the Coleman drivers in '30. And I think that the thinking at one point was that the, the, the two or maybe all three of the Unser brothers would come back as potential relief drivers. And uh, when I, years ago when I was out uh, helping uh, Al and, and Susan Unser with the— uh, with their uh, collection as they were getting the museum ready, I found this photo of Uncle Louie in a Coleman front-drive car, and I said, look, here's, here's the proof here. Well, uh, again, the story it, it, it maybe got out a, 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 a little bit askew somewhere, but the but end result is that Joe Unser was fatally injured in a, one, in a race car on a public road. And that supposedly, uh, you know, ended their attempt to come back as three brothers. And, uh, but I, I I would respectfully suggest that they were going to come back as potential relief drivers for Lou Moore and Phil Schaefer.
1: The dream of a member of the Unser family making it to the Brickyard would be delayed until 1940 when Louie Unser came to the corner of 16th and Georgetown.
6: Well, Uncle Louie uh, was uh, already a specialist at Pikes Peak. And uh, how he got connected with the car that he was going to, he, he drove a couple of AAA races in, in 1939. I think he was at Milwaukee in what we now call sprint cars. But regardless, hes he was entered in 1940 uh, to drive a car called Hollibird's Red Setter Special or something like that, which was actually Wilbur Shore's winning car from 1937. And uh, he's assigned to that, but to the best of my knowledge, he didn't drive it. But he did take part of his test driving for Phil Schaefer, uh, an old one of the uh, Duesenberg drivers from the 20s. But, And I'm thinking that the connection is uh, Pikes Peak because Phil Schaefer would run Indianapolis and Pikes Peak. So I'm assuming that the connection was made there. Anyway, uh, he didn't pass the test. Uh, they, had, they ran out of time or had mechanical problems or something, but he took three of the four phases. But he did visit Indianapolis several times. Russ Snowberger uh, of Federal Engineering was another uh, Pikes Peak uh, driver. And after no longer driving, but being a chief mechanic, if you look at the driver and crew shots from the 1950s uh, and look at the Federal Engineering cars, Louis Unser is on the crew for Larry Crockett and Fred Agaviation, and and uh, and uh, so you see. But so it was quite a well-known, you know, face, and and. Uh, And so uh, he would be the first Unser at the track, and and then then Jerry N58, the first to qualify.
1: It would be up to the next generation to get the Unser family into the history books at the Brickyard. Jerry Unser Sr. had four sons who all went into racing. Jerry Jr., Lewis, Bobby, and Al. And it was Jerry Jr. who was first to qualify for the Indianapolis 500 in 1958, rolling off 24th for the race. But Jerry Unser never got the chance to show what he could do in the greatest spectacle in racing. And
3: we've got an accident
2: here. Car number five. Car number five the Zinc Special is the first direct. Another over the wall. And we've got one, two, three, four, five, six cars piled up here on the northeast turn. The 54 Novi into the infield. Car number 19 in the infield. 68 now down into the infield. And it's almost impossible to identify the others. Out of car number five now, it's Ed Elysian. And uh, car number 91 against the wall that is all that we can see at the moment further down the track there are still others one track ha- one car has left this track Sid and did go over the retaining wall
1: not only was Jerry Unser one of the drivers caught up in the 15 car pileup in turn three he was the car that Lou Palmer described as actually having gone over the wall and out of the track Unser suffered a dislocated shoulder but the next year he was back at the brickyard with a new team Bobby Unser.
7: Yeah, my brother Jerry was the first one to Indianapolis, obviously. He went there in uh, 1958. Unfortunately, he got involved into the first lap accident. There were so many cars that spun out and went everywhere that that was a non, basically a non-starter race for Jerry. And then of course he went back again and put him out of the race then. Went back in 59 and early days of practice, early in the month, Jerry had another accident, hit the wall and burned. And Jerry ended up dying from the burns that he received from that wreck. So that was a bad
1: year. Speedway legend A.J. Foyt was a rookie in the same Indianapolis 500
8: that Jerry Unser made his ill-fated debut. Well, actually, Jerry Unser, he's the one that went out of the joint. And uh, I knew him fair, but not real well, but I did know him. And then when I heard he wasn't even really hurt that bad, I couldn't believe it. I know my grandmother died, and he took me to the airport. It was after 58, and I can't remember what year. And I told him, I said, well, don't hit the wall. And he took me to the airport, and he hit the wall that day and got burnt. And I come back. And I think any poison set in or something, you know, that night, and he lost his life. So, like I said, it was, he lost a lot of people in Annapolis back then.
1: Floyd laments one missed opportunity with his fellow driver.
8: What I remember about Jerry, we talked about it, and I always wanted to go to the Pikes Peak. And he said, I'll take you up there. And, uh, you know, he was number one on Pikes Peak. That's one thing I do remember about him, but never got to go.
1: Coming up on The Amazing Unser's, Bobby Unser tries to tame the powerful and popular Novi before shooting to international stardom. This is Heroes of the 500. This is Heroes of the 500, the amazing answers. The next answer to make it to the Indianapolis 500 was Bobby in 1963, but the Hall of Fame driver had been behind the wheel well before that. He started racing modifieds in the late 40s at the ripe old age of 15.
9: Ultimately, when I was 15 years old, they had a racetrack in Albuquerque, a dirt track, and daddy had cars because they were super modifieds, which they originated. In in Albuquerque. Not that Albuquerque was modern. It's just that how you could take wrecking yard, junkyard parts, and and make them into fairly fast race cars. That was the first of the super modifieds. And so, when I was 15 years of age. I drove my first race and so that's how I started.
1: But it was at the Pikes Peak hill climb where Unser first became known. The 1955 hill climb counted in the AAA championship standings. Unser followed in the family tradition of racing on the tricky 156 turn track. He finished fifth and then won six of the next seven when the race fell off the official IndyCar schedule. Eventually, Bobby Unser claimed an astounding 13 wins in the race to the clouds.
9: I never dreamed in those days of ever going to Indianapolis as an example. None of us did. And I only dreamed about winning Pikes Peak. Now I accomplished that. I want it more than any
1: human being, dead or alive. Bobby Unser became a star in sprint cars, but hadn't become a household name on USAC's national championship trail until he got a big boost from established star Parnelli Jones.
9: Parnelli just called on the phone one day and he says, I've got you a car to take your driver's test at in Indianapolis in the coming May. And I just couldn't believe it. I mean, was I happy? I guess you'd have to say I was, but I was probably more scared than I was happy because I didn't think I was capable. Of, of doing it in Annapolis
1: His first ride at the Brickyard wasn't up to speed, but Jones helped hook Unser up with Andy Granatelli, who fielded cars powered by the legendary and loud Novi engines. When Jones suggested giving Unser a shot in the Hotel Tropicana special, Granatelli reportedly responded, "Who's Bobby Unser?" Perhaps the last time that question was ever asked at the brickyard.
9: A lot of drivers had tried the car. Nobody went even a little bit fast in that car. Herdabie was driving the lead car for Granatelli, and he was going very fast. Make a long story short, and Granatelli finally asked me if I would, if I wanted to take the car out, would I? try not to wreck it so at any rate he 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 said all right go get your uniform on well i ran all the way back to shop got my uniform on came out got into that race car and in my third or fourth lap around the track was fast enough to qualify there he is on the turn on the straightaway let's wait and watch
1: Unser put the novi in the show, qualifying 16th, but didn't last long.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you day.
10: Right down in front of us unfortunately but out of his car and standing along the side is Bobby Unser in car number six the Hotel Tropicana Novi gas and water coming down on the track they will have to slow down completely Bobby gets out of the car and runs over across the track coming out of that turn he spun once hit the wall came to rest with the nose of number six the bright yellow
3: Novi here against the wall.
1: He crashed on the second lap and finished last. The next Last year, Unser was caught up in the tragic accident that claimed the lives of Eddie Sachs and Dave McDonald and finished 32nd. Unser says while the Novies were fast, he knew they weren't a threat to win.
7: Those were good days in my life. Uh, there wasn't any chance of my finishing the race, and I knew that. I hoped that it would finish, but the car would always go fast. And, and to Bobby Unser, that became the most important thing. You know, I used to have a theory that if you practiced fast, if you qualified fast, and you led the races or went really fast in the races, then everybody knew you in life got a lot easier sponsorship money rides you know cars to drive was always a lot easier
1: while Bobby Unser was taking part in his third Indianapolis 500 with Granatelli in 1965 he was joined by younger brother Al who like his siblings had been behind the wheel of a car from a young age he even rolled a Model A Ford in the yard as a kid
11: it was a model A pickup and I was running great kind of my brothers had a kind of a racetrack laid out out there that they that they were running super modified by then in Albuquerque. And uh, so I was out there one day and and uh, rolled it over and uh, went back in the shop and asked for some help to get it back before my parents got back from downtown. And they just laughed at me. but well, they helped me. My brothers helped me and the employees that my father had there helped me. But as soon as my parents got back, it wasn't five minutes before my father called me in. So, you know, he He knew more than I thought he knew, you know, or or my brothers or the employees told him you know, that I just rolled the car, the Model A over.
1: <laughs> Al Unser tried several cars during practice in 1965, but it didn't appear the rookie would have a shot at a ride capable of making the 500, until a surprise benefactor stepped forward, the defending champion and top driver on the circuit, A.J. Foyt.
11: By that time, when Foyt walked in, I thought I was through, because it was Sunday, and I said, man, you know, when, when you miss that race your rookie year, I always felt that, and I still do, that the car owners won't have anything to do with you because you didn't have the talent to make the race. So when Toy walked in the garage and he says, I have a, my second car, if you would like to come out and try it and, and you know, we'll get try to get it qualified think about it and come over to my garage. Well, when he walked out my garage, I followed him. You know, I mean, you got to be kidding. That was a break that, that, you know, I never dreamed would happen.
1: Al Unser would start in the last row for the 1965 Indianapolis 500, joining one of the greatest rookie classes in the race's history, which included future winners Mario Andretti and Gordon Johncock. Fans were excited about the new stars of the Brickyard, but Foyt's chief mechanic, George Bignotti, a man who would later figure prominently in Al Unser's career, wasn't nearly as enthused about Foyt's choice of teammates.
11: (laughs) George and I, uh, when Foyt came in in 65 and asked me to run his second car, George Bignotti went bananas, I guess. Because he didn't want another rookie in, you know, in uh, the other car. Even though Boyd owned the team, I guess or whatever, I never did understand all of it. But George did not want me in the car. And then after the race, then, uh, you know, he he then seemed to get along with me.
1: Alan ran all day in his rookie year, finishing ninth, four laps down. He got his first win on the IndyCar circuit later that year, fittingly at Pikes Peak, which had been added to the USAC championship trail as a points-paying race.
11: Because in those days, Pikes Peak represented a whole lot. You know, it was the second oldest race, and, and when you won at Pikes Peak, the world kind of knew
1: about you. The following year, both Unsers had new teams for the 500. Bobby moved to Bob Wilkie's leader card outfit and grabbed an 8th place finish while Al ended up 12th, driving as a teammate to world champion Jim Clark. 1967 was the year the Unser brothers began to show the rest of the field they were there to stay. Al finished 2nd to his former teammate A.J. Foyt at the Brickyard while Bobby wound up ninth. And later in 1967, Bobby swept a double header at the Telegram Trophy races at Mossport Park in Canada. Bobby Unser had his first IndyCar wins outside of Pikes Peak, but they wouldn't be his last, and the two brothers were about to begin a decade of dominance. The
4: white flag now for Dan Gurney, who's going to come in. second. Okay, there's a checkered flag for Bobby Unser, winner of the 1968 500-mile race.
1: This is Heroes of the 500, the Amazing Unsers. This is Heroes of the 500, The Amazing Unser's. Bobby Unser's hard work began to pay big dividends in 1968. His rizlone sponsored Eagle was clearly the class of the early part of the USAC championship season. Unser won three of the first four races leading up to the month of May 1968, which caught the eye of his former car owner, Andy Granatelli. By 1968, Granatelli had scrapped the loud novice for the nearly silent turbine-powered cars and almost won with one in 1967 with Barnelli Jones behind the wheel. For '68, the flamboyant car owner had planned a three-car assault of turbine-powered Lotuses with Formula One stars Jim Clark, Jackie Stewart, and Graham Hill behind the wheel. But Clark was killed in a Formula 2 race in April, and Stewart was injured and unable to participate, leaving Granatelli looking for drivers. He turned his attention and his checkbook to Unser.
9: They tried to hire me out from under Goodyear or out from under Leader Card Racers. Probably one of the happiest days of my life. And it all happened right out under the scoring tower, right out there on the pit apron at the speedway. And when it died, Got up. You got to remember the year now. When it got up to one million dollars, I still said no.
6: Speedway historian Donald Davidson. Bobby Unser at the time was sort of very much the the knight in, in shining armor. Uh, He was sort of like a superstar of the future. A lot of uh, great interest in the Unser brothers, which was a good story, plus the mother. Great, you know, there was a lot of human interest there, plus the fact that Bobby was sort of like a very, you know, dashing young hero. And the fact that there was one of him and there were three turbines, it seemed like that they were ganging up up on him. Unser started on the outside of the front row with the fastest piston-driven car in the
1: race. But it was actually Unser who led much of the race, including 118 of the first 165 laps.
4: Car number three, Bobby Unser, the no Special, holding that lead. Turbocharged Offenhauser, Eagle chassis, and Bobby has made a tremendous run for today.
7: At 68 Eagle, it was just grease lightning. And I could run it like that all day long without any mistakes. I was passing like Joe Leonard, Art Pollard, those guys, on the short shoots, even. That should have been theoretically impossible to do, but I could just... I'd go down the long straightaway, if I didn't quite get him on the long straightaway, I'd go to maybe number one turn, catch him on the short shoot before I'd get the
1: number two turn and do it so easy it wasn't even funny. But while Unser led most of the laps, late in the race he found himself in second place behind pole sitter Joe Leonard, driving one of Andy Granatelli's STP turbines. A late race caution flag gave Unser one more shot to run down Leonard, but when the green flag flew, Leonard's fortunes faded.
4: Sid Collins once again here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway as the frustration continues for Granatelli. Number 60 has dropped down to the number one turn. Come in, Mike Ahern. Yes, Sid,
2: we've got the glasses on him. He is just entering the number one turn, right toward the end of the main straightaway, and they've got a crew of about a dozen people surrounding the car. Number 60, Joe Leonard is still in the cockpit. What happened, we don't know. As soon as the green flag was waved, he slowed down, suddenly came along the track apron, and just stopped just uh, short of the infield grass.
1: Letter dropped out with a fuel shaft failure less than 10 laps from the finish. And from there it was smooth sailing for the first member of the Amazing Uncers to visit Victory Lane.
3: Here is a confident guy. He should be. He's almost home right now. Orange, black, and white car from Albuquerque, New Mexico. A handsome lad and a great driver, Bobby Unser, and here is Sid Collins. <laughs>
4: A white flag now for Dan Gurney, who's going to come in second. There's a the checkered flag for Bobby Unser, winner of the 1968 500-mile race. And all of a
7: sudden, I watched the turbine pull off to the left into the grass. I thought, "What in the heck is he doing in the grass over there?" Well, it had quit. Uh, turbines never supposed to quit, so it did. It quit. And I'm going to go on and win the race, only, what, one, two or three laps left then. And so all I got to do, don't screw up. Don't make any mistakes for the next two or three laps, which I can do that all right, you know. And I did. So I won the race. I get the checkered flag. Now, officially, no matter how you look at it, I won the race. But I'm going to go another lap just in case somebody doesn't know how to count. So I go another lap, and when I come around and I'm to the back straightaway, this was, it really made the tears come out of my eyes. There must have been 10,000 to 50,000 people jumped the fences. They were all standing on the back straightaway. And I had, to, I had to get down and just barely keep the car going because I didn't have a transmission to use. And I got back there, and, and the people were trying to touch the car. They were touching it. And I mean, it was, it, 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 it was so touching to me. It, it just brought a tear to my eyes that hey, people were all for me. They weren't for the turbines. They were for Bobby Enser winning the race. And we did win it. And the whole thing turned out to be just as much fun as that was.
1: At the age of 34, Bobby Unser was an Indianapolis 500 winner, and that opened up plenty of doors for the astute businessman.
7: It changed my life immediately because I went from being a really poor man to a fairly well-to-do man, and and I wasn't like a lot of the race drivers. I, I took racing and did, got into the endorsement business. I was one of the early race drivers that got into heavy and in the endorsement business. So... People don't realize it, but I made more money doing that
1: than I did winning races. Unser won five races and took home his first USAC national championship that year by the slim margin of just 11 points over Mario Andretti. In 1969, Unser became very familiar with the number three. He started third in the 500 and finished third. And in the national championship, he ended up in third place. Al Unser never got a shot to run the 500 that year. He was injured in a motorcycle accident in the Speedway infield in May prior to qualifying, knocking him out of the race. But Al Unser showed that he and his new team, Vels Parnelli Jones Racing, would become a dominant force on the USAC championship trail. After recovering from his leg injury, Al Unser reeled off five wins and wound up second in the national championship standings ahead of Bobby despite competing in two fewer races. Al Unser says working with the 1963 winner was a big boon to his career.
11: I mean, to have Parnelli as your car owner and as smooth and as talented as he was, he really helped me. You know, we'd come in that night after practice and stuff, we would talk about it. And and he was just a very good man to talk to and be able to say, well, it, it does this and does that and he had the ideas, well, let's, let's try this and you try this and, and we'll, you know, see how it works tomorrow.
1: 1970 would be Al Unser's breakout year when he returned to the Brickyard. No motorcycle or any other driver in the field was going to stop him. The handsome man from Albuquerque, the blue number two, and he got quite a hand
3: up here. The crowd rose as one when he came by, and that's a great tribute to a great driver with a great car. And now here is Sid.
4: Unser, the checkered flag, the winner of the 1970 Indianapolis 500 mile race.
1: Unser started on the pole and led 190 of the 200 laps en route to a dominating first Indianapolis 500 win in the famous Johnny Lightning Special.
11: It's hard to believe that that you can set on the pole and then take off and lead that that race. You know, on the first lap, Rutherford beat me into the first corner and. And uh, down the back of the area, I just pulled out and went by him, you know. And, and uh, you know, to come around the first lap and lead that race, the first time in your, in your life of, of knowing how great the race is, and then there you are leading the race. It's a fantastic feeling. And then for everything to go good that day, and then the very last one, you know, the last two laps, Parnelli and Bell Militich thought that something was going wrong with the car. Well, I had such a lead I could just back off and I, you, you, you hear all your life of the last few laps of that race, how people how the driver can hear bad things happening and this is going wrong and that's going wrong. And it's really true, you know you, you want something so bad. And then here you are you it's within striking distance of two laps or a lap and a half and boy I'm telling you what your nerves fall apart you know I came out of that turn four the last lap and I looked down there and could see that checkered flag I says oh please just stay together for a few more feet
1: Al Unser's win made him a household name and winning
0: whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Changed his life, but not exactly the way people believed.
11: You know, all of a sudden, everybody says, well, you're a millionaire. And I said, well, I don't understand. You know, I didn't get paid a million dollars. <laughs> it gives you the opportunity to go out and promote yourself, it gives you that you know feeling that you can go to anybody's door and knock on it, and when they open it, you can say, "Hi, I'm Alan. You know, I'm the Indianapolis 500 winner, and and I'd like to." promote your product, say, or whatever, you know. And it's just, a. it gives you the opportunity to go sell yourself.
1: Hunter's win in the 500 was the pinnacle of a masterful season in which he won 10 of the 18 races on the USAC championship schedule and his first national championship. Brother Bobby was 11th at the 500 and second in the national championship standings, the first time brothers had finished in the top two spots in the title hunt. Coming up next on Heroes of the 500, Johnny, lightning strikes twice. Blue car with a big number one, and he is number one. And now to call the winner for the 24th
3: consecutive time is our chief announcer, the voice of the 500, Sid Collins.
4: And here is Pat Vadan waving the checkered flag for Al Unser, winner of the 1971 Indianapolis 500-mile race.
1: This is Heroes of the 500, the amazing Unser's. This is Heroes of the 500, the Amazing Unsers. Coming off a dominating win at the 500 in 1970, big things were expected from Al Unser and his Vels Parnelli Jones team for 1971. But new challenges had emerged. Unser started fifth, and while he'd led 103 laps, future winner Mark Donahue and Roger Penske's new team and Team McLaren proved it wouldn't be nearly as easy as 1970. The result, however, was the same. Blue car with a big number one, and he is number one. And now to call the winner for the
3: 24th consecutive time is our chief announcer, the voice of the 500, Sid Collins.
4: And here is Pat Vidan waving the checkered flag for Al Unser, winner of the 1971 Indianapolis 500-mile race.
1: Unser won his second straight 500 in 1971, becoming the first driver to win two straight in 16 years.
11: When we got back to Indianapolis in 71, we just we really felt that we we had the advantage. Well, practice started, and we found out very quickly that the McLaren team uh, had us covered. I mean, they just had superior cars and that year. To be able to win that race again, we had to run hard all day. Not that we didn't in '70, but it was it was a more demanding race on running up front because we didn't have the advantage that we had in 1970.
1: Unser went on to win a total of five races of the first six races in the 1971 season, but finished fourth to teammate Joe Leonard in the USAC championship race. Bobby Unser won twice in 1971 for his new team, Dan Gurney's All-American Racers, but was a distant sixth in the points chase. But for 1972, Bobby Unser knew he had a fast car, the Eagle 7200. The car moved the track record at the Brickyard up by 17 miles an hour over the previous year and was on the pole for all but three races that season but reliability sank any chance of winning the championship or the 500 for bobby Unser that year
7: well actually the the 72 car had a had a super super good record because it would have should have set on the pole every race that it ran that year in fact every place that it qualified uh it broke a record It was a new record, boom, 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 all year long. And the car was just, the car was just too unbeatable. Just unbeatable. So it didn't make any difference. It was the record. We won four races. Well, I used to tell everybody, we won every race we finished. Unfortunately, we didn't finish all the races. And and that hurt us pretty bad because our reliability wasn't too good. The car was so fast that it was just breaking pretty often. All engine problems. In fact I don't even think I ever wrecked that car. <laughs> and it and it was just such a fun, fun, fun era to drive because no matter what, it set new records. And, and no matter what, if it finished, it's gonna win the race. Nobody can beat that car all year. And it was just so much fun to drive. And then all the eagles after that were like little eaglets that got reborn, slight minor changes. Basically the same car, basically the same answers. Always fast, always just fly. The eagle used to fly.
1: Bobby Unser still won four of the nine races on the USAC championship trail he participated in, but wound up eighth in the title hunt. Al was fourth and backed up his two consecutive Indianapolis 500 wins with a second in 1972, which is tied for the best finish in the 500 over a three-year period. 1973 was a tough year for the brothers on the track. Bobby was 12th in the final standings and Al 13th, and neither finished the 500. But Bobby bounced back in 1974 to win his second national championship. And in 1975, he was in the right place at the right time when the rains came at IMS.
4: This race could well be stopped. In fact, there comes the rain pretty heavily. We're watching Pat Vedan. The yellow is out. And we're going to wait to make it official if he's going to pull out the red or not, which has to happen. Now it's pouring down rain. That's going to be it. And Bobby Unser from Albuquerque, New Mexico, may have weathered the storm, so to speak, and pushed himself into victory. LANE HERE BY VIRTUE OF WATER.
7: DOWN 75, GOING DOWN THE BACK STRAIGHT AWAY AND GOING INTO TURN 3, NOT TO TURN 3 YET, STILL IN THE straightaway AND I'M TELLING YOU, I DIDN'T SEE it. IT DIDN'T GET DRIPS FIRST. IT CAME DOWN IN ONE BIG DELUGE. I MEAN, NOW, COULDN'T SEE, COULDN'T, I MEAN, AND I LOOK OUT THERE, ALL THE CARS ARE SPINNING. I THINK THERE WAS ONLY TWO CARS THAT DIDN'T SPIN when it rained. I remember the race is over as soon as it became red. But we don't know that. Who knows with the officials when they're gonna do what they're gonna do. And so I just kept going as fast as I could, but don't spin. If I spin out, for all I know, they may say you're out of the race. Who knows? And you can't always trust the officials. Gotta go about what you know sometimes. So I so I go to work and, and uh, go easy, but I go fast, and there's only two. Foyd, I'm just putting a lap on him, alongside of him, and he's being as careful as I am. Don't spin out, but we we'll see cars are everywhere spun out. I mean, spinning, hitting the fences, everything. That ended that, and of course, found out the race really was over. It really made me happy because, man, i would never seen Gurney so happy. I mean, he was jumping up and down, smiling all the time, rain running off of his head. I mean, I never saw a human being so happy. Now, he must have said the
1: same thing about me because I was kind of happy too, really happy. Al Unser ended up 16th in the 500 in 1975, part of a dismal season that saw him end up 17th in the national championship standings. He stayed with Vels Parnelli Jones for two more seasons before switching to the team owned by sports car legend Jim Hall, and in 1978 that paid big dividends.
2: Doing a fantastic job is Al Unser. The checkered flag is waved. His hand is in the air. Al Unser, the winner of the 1978
1: 500-mile race. Al Unser won his third Indianapolis 500, out-dueling pole sitter Tom Sneva and Danny Ungayas. The team also won the 500-mile races at Ontario and Pocono that year, making Unser the only driver to ever sweep the Triple Crown in one year. But you may be surprised to hear what Unser says about the Triple Crown winning Lola.
11: Yeah, and, and Jim Hall, I finally, the Parnelli team and Bell... Um, It just, it was time for a change for me to to step out of the limelight of of that team. And I went with Jim Hall, and we got to the Speedway with a a new Lola that that we thought would be the terrific car of the times. And it must have been good enough because I won the race. But uh, that, that car and I did not get along. Uh, Other than the three 500s, I never really was competitive at other races, any of the other races across the the country that year in 78. But yet the 500-mile races uh, between Jim Hall and the people that we had, Huey Absalon and everybody, we made it happen. And uh, that was the three most important races, yes. Yes. But yet, you want to be competitive and the chance to win the other on the mile tracks, too. And and we just, we wouldn't opt there.
1: Coming up on the Heroes of the 500, big changes for both Unser brothers, but plenty of checkered flags.
2: Bobby Unser, the Norton Spirit car number three, accepts the twin checkered flags from Dwayne Sweeney. Bobby Unser has won the Indianapolis 500.
1: This is Heroes of the 500, the amazing Unser's. Welcome to Hour 2 of Heroes of the 500, The Amazing Unser's. I'm Stan Lear. Both Al and Bobby Unser were looking forward to the 1979 season as one with plenty of promise. Bobby caught a big break when he was hired by Roger Penske after the captain fired national champion Tom Sneva. And Al had a brand new revolutionary chaparral chassis from Jim Hall's team at his disposal to defend his Indianapolis 500 crown with. It didn't take long for Al Unser to look like a possible four-time winner.
2: The 63rd running of the Indianapolis 500 It is being led by Al Unser on lap number 55. He is the defending champion here. He is the defending triple crown of auto racing champion. In fact, he has not lost a 500-mile race since the Ontario 500 well over one year ago. He won at Ontario. He won at Indianapolis. He won at Pocono. He won again in Ontario. And at this moment, he is leading the Indianapolis Five hundred.
1: Al led 85 of the first 96 laps before dropping out with transmission trouble. That handed the top spot over to brother Bobby. All in all, the brothers Unser led 174 laps that day, with Bobby leading a race high 89 of them.
2: Bobby Unser leading at the moment, Rick Mears right behind him, Bobby Unser looks like he's going to head in for a pit stop, Bobby Unser indeed heading, no, something's wrong in Bobby Unser's car, something appears to be wrong with Bobby Unser's machine, he's slowed, coming off the fourth turn, pulled to the inside of the race course. Rick Mears is now your leader, and Bobby Unser is running slow
3: into the
1: first turn. But with less than 20 laps to go and victory in sight, Unser started having gearbox trouble. He lost the lead and the race to teammate Rick Mears, but held on for fifth place. He won six times on the cart trail and finished second to Mears in the final standings. For Al's part, despite the promise the Chaparral showed at the Brickyard in May, the team only won one race, the season finale at Phoenix in October. At the end of the year, Unser quit the team, one that would win the 500 the next year in dominant fashion with Johnny Rutherford behind the wheel. Bobby stayed with Team Penske and by 1981 he was knocking on the door of a third Indianapolis 500 win behind the wheel of a brand new Penske PC9B chassis.
7: That was a super super car because I started the testing in it myself, came from England as designed and built over there and made the changes to it over here, did all the aerodynamic changes over in my shop, ended up being a really fast car.
1: Bobby Unser sat on the pole and led early and often, challenged mainly by Patrick Racing teammates Gordon Johncock and Mario Andretti, who was bidding to be the first driver to win from the last row. During a late race caution flag, Unser pitted in second place, but got out of his stall first with Andretti closely behind. Unser stayed on the apron and rolled past more than a dozen cars before getting into line behind the pace car. Andretti passed a couple of cars as well and then blended into line with the others. At the time, it seemed like no big deal. In fact, the Speedway Radio Network made no mention of the situation on their live broadcast. But at the time, ABC Television was showing the race on a tape-delayed basis while putting the event together in post-production for that night's broadcast. This is how it was presented.
2: Bobby out again, and Bobby going out, very fast a car. What's he doing? He, oh, look at oh. that, he's passed about half a dozen cars. Oh.
12: He's certainly overtaken these other cars. I'm not sure why he did that. I know that you're certainly not supposed to do it. The regulations say that under yellow flag conditions, you must not pass any other cars.
1: Back on track, Unser battled with Andretti and Johncock, passing the latter for the lead for the last time on lap 182. Unser went on to join the three-time Winners Club by five seconds.
2: Bobby Unser, the Northern Spirit Carnival.
1: Unser's victory celebration was short-lived because the next morning the United States Auto Club declared that second-place finisher Andretti was the winner because Unser had passed cars under the yellow flag. Unser was dropped to second place, a decision Penske Racing immediately protested. The bizarre victory banquet now had a guest of honor who hadn't been to Victory Lane. The story would get even stranger as an appeals panel convened in June but didn't render a decision until October. In the end, a three-member USAC appeals board voted two to one to reinstate the victory to Bobby Unser, who was instead fined $40,000.
7: The controversy that people will remember is that I passed six, eight, ten cars coming out of the pits under the yellow. But I did it properly, and, and it turns out, after all those months of fighting and arguing, that I was right. And, and did end up becoming the official winner. That's two times in one year. So I won two races that year. The
1: 1981 500 is one of the most controversial in history. Sadly, it was also Unser's last. At the time of his victory, he was the oldest man to win the 500 and he now says that he had no plans to come back in 1982.
9: I had pretty much accomplished quite a bit in this life, and I was not going to go to work and miss my last son. I I didn't quit racing. It's just that I wasn't going to pass up my youngest son.
1: Bobby became a television commentator, and in 1983, he got to witness history being made as the next generation of Unser's came to the corner of 16th and Georgetown. Al Al Unser Jr. passed his rookie test in 1983 and joined his dad in the field, becoming the first father and son to compete against each other. Big Al, as he was now known, had the lead late in the race, now driving for Roger Penske with Tom Sneva in second place. Lapped traffic is always tricky for drivers to negotiate at the speedway. It can be even more tricky when the car you're trying to pass is the son of the leader.
3: Two or three times we've seen Little Al slam the door on Tom Sneva and keep him from catching his dad. I don't know whether Little Al's doing it intentionally or not, but he's doing a great job
1: of blocking. Sneva finally got around Big Al as Unser Sr. was now being referred to. But despite the second place finish, getting to race with his son for the first time was a special memory for Unser.
11: I mean that's just something that you know I thought it would have, you know would be easy to race against your son. You know I raced against my brother for years and and people would ask me well how does it feel to run against your son? I says you know well it's going to be easy. I've raced against my brother for years, but when it's your son it really makes a difference. I mean it just absolutely when things when the yellow would come out, I'd press the button and, and call in and say, was Al involved in that, you know? And, and so it, it just, it really uh, worked on you know, my mind a lot more than I ever thought it would. In
5: 1983, when I was a rookie back here, you know, it was a dream come true for me when I first pulled out in opening day practice to pull out onto the racetrack in an Indy car. And so uh, that was a, a, a lifelong dream come true for me. And then, of course, as the month went on, to be able to qualify for the race was another dream come true. And then, and then when I walked out there race day morning, uh, knowing that I was going to come...
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com dot and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
5: repeat in the five hundred, um, another absolute dream come true. And so I, I, I just I soaked in every minute of the entire month, and then, uh, and then we got to go out there and race and and. Uh, and just so happened that that um at the end of the race I was in a position that uh, that I could try to try and help my father win his 4th Indy 500 and uh but Tom Sneva was just a little bit too fast and 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 dad was a little too slow <laughs> so uh but uh for the first time for a father son to compete against each other in the in the history of the 500 uh, was a great honor and 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 we were truly blessed about it
1: big al went on to win the 1983 cart championship his second national driving championship and two years later while subbing for an injured rick mears unser senior had a shot for championship number three the only problem was to win it he'd have to take it away from his son
2: and there comes the flag advising moreno that al's behind
1: This is Heroes of the 500, The Amazing Answers. This is Heroes of the 500, The Amazing Answers. I'm Stan Lear. Al Unser won his first championship race and made his Indianapolis 500 debut in 1965. 20 years later, he was looking at a chance at a third National Driving Championship while subbing for the injured Rick Mears for Roger Penske. His competition for the title, a rising star named Al Unser Jr., Little Al had won his first IndyCar race in 1984 at Portland, and by 1985 had established himself as one of the top drivers on the kart circuit. He held the championship lead with the laps winding down in the season finale, but there was one catch. If his father could find his way past road racing specialist Roberto Moreno, Big Al would grab one more point and the championship. Unser Sr. had a choice to make. He could stay behind Moreno and guarantee his son the title or pass him and take the crown away from his kid.
2: And there
9: comes the flag, advising Moreno that Al's behind him. Big Al
3: comes around and The edge of the flag. Now Big Al has the national championship.
1: Big Al did what racers do and won the title by one point over Little Al. More than three decades later, you can hear what an agonizing choice that was for Al Unser Sr.
11: When I came in, and I said to myself, under the the cool down lap, you know, before I got in the in the pits, I says, well, I could have given that race to Al because I know how hard championships are to win, and to give, you know, it would have been easy to give Al that that championship. And I, you know, I said to myself then, I says, well, I hope that I haven't taken something from him that he'll never enjoy. And thank goodness later on he won the you know, his championship in in IndyCar. So it won Indy and in the in, in the championship. So, you know, I can look back now and say that I definitely did the right thing. And I think I did the right thing that day because, you know, I had to face my crew and I had to face the sponsors. And if it would have ever you know, I don't think I could have ever kept it a secret that if I'd have given that race to Al, somebody would have known it.
1: But Al Jr. says he wouldn't have expected to win the title that way.
5: We knew going into the race that that it was either him or I that was going to win the championship. So so when Unser was going to take home the the 85 IndyCar championship. And, you know, Dad driving for Roger Penske, and, and, and I was driving for Doug Shearson in the Domino's Pizza car you know we we each wanted to uh to do the best we could for our team um you know unfortunately um for me you know dad had had one car to pass at the end of the race to to win the championship and and of course he did it he's you know he's uh he's a professional and and uh and that sort of thing and you know, quite honestly, I tease him when, when when I see that trophy in his house. I go, you know, that's my trophy. And he goes, no, if it was, you, it, it would be in your house. So we, we laugh about it today.
1: Al Unser was the IndyCar champion in 1985, but only drove a partial schedule the following year. And at the end of 1986, he found himself out of a ride. Big Al came to the brickyard in 1987 with some prospects, but the veteran was holding out for the right ride.
11: And I I made that choice myself. There wasn't that I didn't have offers. I had probably five or six offers from car owners. But by that time in your racing career, you know what it takes. You think you know. I'm not going to say I knew. But you think you know what it takes to win races. And I didn't think that the car owners that I'd been talking to that called me had everything in the right spot. After the first weekend of qualifying, if I didn't have a ride, I was going to come back home to Albuquerque. And then Al didn't get qualified. So I stayed there to see if I could help him. I didn't think there was a team or a car open that I was going to get into, you know, because I'd really given up of trying to find a car or a ride that year in 87. And then Tuesday, Pensky calls me and he says, this is Roger Pensky. How are you doing, now? I says, fine, Roger. And you, man, i you know, we're we'll talking. He says, well, he says, they're not going to release Danny. And he says, would you be interested to run my third car? It's going to be a year-old car, and it's going to have a Cosworth in it. And it'll be a brand-new Cosworth motor, and you'll have a good team and of course that's what i was waiting for as a team like that
1: unser qualified 20th for the 500 and was driving his usual steady race but mario andretti was the dominant car leading 170 of the first 177 laps Late in the race, it all went wrong for the 1969 winner.
2: Mario Andretti slowing down on the main straightaway, and this could be the question answered. Number five slows on the main stretch, and Roberto Guerrero goes into the lead. Mario Andretti slows
1: down. Roberto Guerrero took over the lead, but he had one more pit stop to make.
2: Roberto Guerrero is in. They top it. Sonny Myers is extra man on this side of the wall, my side, in order to hold the hose, in order to be sure all of the fuel they need does get in. They're looking at that gauge now, getting closer and closer to it. Looking two, three, one. Now they're about to shut off. There goes the first, second, third switch closed. They've disengaged. He stalls the engine. Now they Starter, it is in. Roberto Guerrero fires again. It catches quickly. Luckily, they push him off. And won't catch fully. Now it does engage. Now it doesn't. A very slow pull away at the south end of the pit. Come on, it has stopped, virtually stopped. And Roberto Al Unser picks up the lead of the race as Guerrero
3: stops on the pit.
1: Unzer won his fourth Indianapolis 500 in 1987, tying AJ Foyt's record. The two would be joined by Rick Mears in 1991. And history is matched as the twin
2: checkered flags come out for our second four time winner of the Indianapolis 500, Al Unser. Roberto Guerrero comes across the line, finishing 4.4 seconds back. The Penske team scores another victory.
11: And when the green came out, you know, we had to, I had to go for it. And I run the last, you know, whatever lap, 16 laps or so. Wide open, and I never lifted because, you know, I couldn't afford to have him come up behind me. <laughs> and it ended up being a good day, but a storybook day, yes.
1: Legendary car owner Roger Penske says Unser's victory in 1987 was a remarkable story
10: a guy had an action. Obviously I had to look for a driver and uh, Al Unzer didn't have a ride at that time in the race so I called Al needed a sponsor got a hold of Cummins and they said we're in and I went all the way back to Reading and got that show car out of the hotel there at Reading and brought it to the Speedway and guess what we won the race but that was a key race because Guerrero came in the pits and we were able to make a better pit stop and got out and Al won that race so that was great for him and obviously uh, a very historic story when you think about uh, the second Unser going to Victory Lane in Indianapolis for Team Penske.
1: Two years later it was Al Unser Jr. who appeared to be heading for Victory Lane and a spot in the Borg Warner Trophy.
3: M.O. on the inside. Al in traffic. Goes high. They touch wheels. Oh. Al Jr. into the wall hard. Emerson Fittipaldi keeps on going. They touched wheels. Al Jr. into the wall, and Emerson Fittipaldi will lead them back to the yellow flag.
1: But Unser Jr. tangled with former world driving champion Emerson Fittipaldi with two laps to go. Unser Jr. ended up second, and he
5: says that was a bitter pill to swallow. In the 1989 Indy 500 I felt was my best drive uh we as a team uh performed our our best at our our ability the car was prepared flawlessly the the crew made great pit stops the strategy was flawless and unfortunately we had to it came to the end of the race and we had to race a, a Formula One world champion Emerson Fittipaldi and um you know, we we uh, it was because of lap traffic that uh, that enabled um, uh, Emerson to get beside me going down the backstretch, and um, and you know we were both we both wanted to win the Indy 500. It's at the end of the race. There's only one lap to go, and um, and so we both drove just drove into turn three like there was no tomorrow and uh you know unfortunately i ended up against the wall and emerson went on to win the race and and uh, and you know y- yeah i mean there was there was times there that it was just the results was was out of the control of of our team and and uh but you know yes it was disappointing at at, uh, at first and and there for a few months to be honest but uh but the one thing the 89.500 did did uh, convince me of is that, uh, yes, I can win this race. And, and so as long as we just kept doing what we needed to do as a team... Um, then eventually we would get her done.
1: While 1989 was a major disappointment to little Al, the following year wouldn't be. Driving for his longtime friend Rick Gallus, Unser Jr. took home his first national driving championship, winning the title that had just eluded him in 1985.
5: The 90 championship that we won really solidified the efforts that, that we were putting towards as a team and so uh, for the points championship, putting all the races together um, uh, requires a team, and so uh, Rick Gallis, myself, had with Valvoline. I mean, we all put put the right effort towards it, and and we were knocking on the door so hard. We had finished second and third a couple times, and and so um, we were able to finally put it together in uh, in 1990, and it was it was. Um, it was the first national championship as a team to bring that to New Mexico, and, and uh, both Rick and I were very, very proud of that.
1: Al Unser Jr. was now a champion, but there was one big prize that had eluded him, and it would take an unusual set of circumstances and a moment that will live forever to get it done.
3: Goodyear makes a move! Little Al wins by just a few tenths of a second!
1: This is Heroes of the 500, the amazing Unser's, This is Heroes of the 500, the Amazing Answers. I'm Stan Lear. It's not much fun going into a race that you know you have no chance to win, but that was the feeling Al Unser Jr. had on May 24, 1992. Unser Jr. qualified for the outside of row four with a chassis his team didn't plan to use again after the season and a Chevrolet engine clearly not up to the speeds being shown by the Buicks and Ford Cosworth cars. On carb day, Unser Jr. only managed the 25th fastest time.
5: He was hoping for a hot day. Instead, he got the exact opposite. Going into the 92 Indy 500, I woke up that morning, and, you know, it was the coldest day in the history. Uh, I was praying for a hot day because the car that I was in, the Gallmer, um, had a lot of downforce, but it had a lot of drag to it. And so, you know, I was hoping that if the track got real slippery and, and hot, then uh, we'd have a better shot at winning it. Instead, we wake up, it's the coldest day. And I remember um, telling my, my team that day, you know, that, uh, hey, we're just going to do the best we can today, get as many points as we can, and go on to the next event. And, uh, and you know, it being so cold, uh, that caused quite a few wrecks. And so really it was a, it was a race of survival.
1: It was setting up to be a long day for the second-generation star. It was going to be a long day for the fans and broadcasters as well, because the 58-degree air temperature is the coolest in race history. But if you ask anyone who was there, they will tell you it never felt even that warm. The cold temperatures contributed to several crashes, which took out the pole sitter even before the race started.
3: A car, wait a minute, a car is off the track, the pole sitter, the pole car, Roberto Guerrero has spun off the track on the back stretch, making contact with the inside wall.
1: And some of the biggest names in the sport, including Mario Andretti, Tom Sneva, Emerson Fittipaldi and Rick Mears, ended up at Methodist Hospital. The most dominant car on that cool and windy day was piloted by Michael Andretti, who led 160 laps in a tour de force performance. On lap 166, Andretti cranked out a lap just over 229 miles per hour. The top speed recorded in the 1992 500 and the third fastest, fastest lap ever run in the greatest spectacle in racing. But a few laps later, Andretti was passed at speed for the first time all day. And it was a 52-year-old looking for an unprecedented 5th Indianapolis 500 win doing the passing.
3: Here's Larry Henry in three. Al Unser! Al Unser has passed Michael Andretti! Al Unser now has passed Michael Andretti, the Buick powered.
1: Al Unser, as he always did, was making a late charge at a top finish. But it appeared Michael Andretti was on his way to victory. But Andretti, who had already seen his father and brother taken to Methodist Hospital after two separate accidents, would have to endure one more heartbreaking disappointment that afternoon.
2: And the pace is about 221 miles an hour, and Larry, as he's slowing
3: down! Michael Andretti, the leader, is slowing down, coming down!
1: Now it was up to Al Unser Jr., Scott Goodyear, and Al Sr. to decide it with just seven laps to go. Not only did they rescue a race that up to that point had been a bit of a dud, they put in a finish for the ages.
3: Headed right at you, Larry Henry. Scott Goodyear took right in behind Al Unser Jr. He's waiting. He's waiting. About a car length and a half behind Al Jr. Al Jr. now lengthens it out. He's trying to... few tenths of a second, perhaps the closest finish in the history of the Indianapolis 500. Al Unzer Jr. has become the first second generation driver to win an Indianapolis 500. Al Unzer Jr. has done it.
5: We had been trimming the car out. We had been taking wing out of it because, uh, because we needed to get quicker down the straightaways. And, and so on my last pit stop, I went just a little bit too far with the rear wing, and, uh, and so as the run went on there at the end of the race with Scott Goodyear, my car got looser and looser, which the back end would slide out on me, and, and uh, it finally slid a little too much getting into turn four for the checkered. Um, I had to breathe the throttle just a tiny bit uh, coming off of the corner. Uh, I looked in my mirror. I saw the run that Scott had on me, and and my first thoughts was, oh no, I've blown another one, you know. Um, and but, you know, we uh, somehow we made it to the the finish line first. Al Unser Jr. beat Scott Goodyear to the start finish line by forty three
1: thousandths of a second. Still the closest finish in history. The emotion rushed out of the second generation star in victory lane.
5: There sounds like there's some tears in your voice right now. <laughs> you just don't know what Indy means.
1: <laughs> the quote has become one of the most famous in the more than 100-year history of the Brickyard, but Al Jr. says
5: it wasn't planned. Well, when when we were in Victory Lane with with Jack Arood, and and uh, we were doing the the interview there in in uh, in Victory Lane, uh, he asked me a question about you know w- what was it like to uh, to finally. Get here and uh, uh, into Victory Lane at Indy, and and you know it was just a, a spontaneous thing, you know, uh, because everything flashed back, you know, my dad winning it as many times as he did, and Uncle Bobby, and I just it was it was too long of an answer to go into, so I just you know it just came to me, you just don't know what Indy means, and that summed it all up
1: for me. Al senior finished 3rd and little Al says that made his first win even more special.
5: Well with with dad in the race in in 92, you know, he he ran 3rd at the at the end there and and so um, it was truly a great day for for my dad and I, you know, um again it was it was about who could survive and and you know, the one thing my dad always emphasized with me is is there's only one lap you want to lead and that's the last one. And so you have to get there, and uh, and I think that uh, in 92 with him running third and me winning uh, proved that, uh, that that's what the goal is, is to get to the end. Al Sr. ran the 500 one more
0: time. In 90- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: 1993 leading 15 laps which pushed his total to a record 644 circuits led at the brickyard he also has more top five and top three finishes by any driver in indianapolis 500 history the following year little owl had a shot at a second indianapolis 500 win now driving for roger penske as his father and uncle had done and team penske had an ace up their sleeve for the brickyard a 209 inch push rod engine built completely in secret 16 time Indianapolis 500 winning car owner Roger Penske.
10: To think that we kept it under our hats, started this engine project Uh, in fact moved our guys to a separate part in a separate shop in Reading and I always said that if you talk about this it's like cutting part of your paycheck off and we kept it under wraps.
1: Al Unser Jr. says
5: the whole project was cloak and dagger. In 1994 when I was driving for Roger Penske it was uh, he had a special car for the 500. He told me about it uh, at the end of the 93 season when I first came on board with Roger and and uh, and he said it was top secret you couldn't tell anybody not even your wife and so I didn't. Utzer Jr. won the poll but it was his teammate Emerson Fittipaldi
1: who dominated on race day. Fittipaldi led 145 laps and was looking to lap the second place car his teammate Al Jr. with less than 20 laps to go.
2: Al Unzer Jr. has repassed his teammate, and so Al Unzer Jr. is back on the lead lap, but almost a full lap, and four, a crash. Got Emerson Fittipaldi, has hit the wall on oh. the inside, coming through four. That means Al Unzer pulling away, but Emo, his teammate, hit the wall, coming through four, just down below us. He kept it going. It should be in the main straightaway. Unbelievable. The car comes to a stop just a few feet short of the start-finish
1: line. Mo raises his hands as if to say, I can't believe what has happened. Fittipaldi's crash opened the door for Unser Jr. to win his second Indianapolis 500.
2: The checkered flag waves and Al Unser Jr. has won the 78th running of the Indianapolis 500.
1: The victory gave the Unser family nine wins at the Indianapolis 500 and wins in four different decades from the 1960s to the 1990s, something Roger Penske says will never be duplicated
10: when you think about today and, and the diversity of the drivers we have from different parts of the world, to think one family, a family of Americans that won the Indianapolis 500 nine times, I don't think it'll ever be broken. That might be one record that won't be
6: broken.
1: Coming up, a final look back at the legacy of the Unser family. This is Heroes of the 500, the amazing Unsers, This is Heroes of the 500, The Amazing Uncers. I'm Stan Lear. Al Unser Jr. won his second Indianapolis 500 in 1994 and took his second national championship that same year. But the next season, the unthinkable happened at Indianapolis when
5: Team Penske didn't even qualify for the race. You know, not making the race was was uh, truly the most challenging Adversity that I had ever been faced with, and and uh, you know, because we were so successful, we're driving for the the, the best team in the business, and and uh, and we just couldn't put it together as a team, and and uh, and it really showed. You know, there was there was one time there during qualifying that I was in a different car. I was in a Lola. It was a, a team car from from Bobby Rahal that that Roger had purchased and we were running fast enough to make the show, and the engine blew. Following the 1995 season, Little Al's career
1: was never truly the same. He won three more races after leaving Penske's team after the 1999 season and coming to the Indy Racing League from the kart circuit and led just one more lap at Indianapolis, a single circuit in 2002. The Unser family legacy at Indianapolis was extended in the Indy Racing League years as Bobby's son Robbie made two starts finishing fifth and eighth. Johnny Unser, the son of Jerry, made five Indianapolis 500 starts with a top finish of 18th and is now a respected race official. The family has earned the respect of their peers over the decades. 1969 Indianapolis 500 winner Mario Andretti.
12: Unser legacy in Indianapolis is like uh, unsurmountable. You know, obviously uh, they all made their mark and they should be very proud of that. Actually, as Andrettis, we're a little bit jealous of that. You know, I think uh, uh, we tried and we were close and uh, we gave them a couple of them, quite honestly. You know, but uh, all in all, however, uh, the relationship between the two families, I think uh, has been fabulous. i like to think so. We certainly feel that way.
1: On May 2nd, 2021, Bobby Unser passed away at the age of 87. He will always be remembered as one of the fiercest competitors to ever turn a wheel at the Brickyard. Indianapolis 500 winning car owner Roger Penske.
10: Well, I could. Bobby was a kind of a driver that could take an average car and win with it. I remember him winning at the California 500 at the Ontario Motor Speedway one time, and he was just amazing he could just carry that car where many other drivers had to have the car in order to win but to me you know he was always thinking he was an engineer and i had an idea of uh, what we needed to do with the car and i remember the time that he put some special oil in the car in atlanta and it burned up the transmission i said bobby none of that anymore
1: in december 2021 al unser passed away from cancer after a battle of more than a decade leaving behind a legacy and legend As one of the greatest competitors in IndyCar history. Andretti says he believes Al Unser was a truly incredible talent.
12: I think when it comes to Big Al, you know, uh, I'll choose him, you know, as really at the top of the line, sorry Bobby, Uh, because uh, I just felt he had pure honest talent. I think Bobby was a little more technical, perhaps he could help himself with his setups, but uh, watching Al's racecraft, he was very intelligent, and um, he just had a feel for the car, just to take just what it needed out of it. I had tremendous respect for him, you know, to, today. Uh, that's why I think he was so successful, especially in the long races. Uh, he just knew when not to make the mistakes.
1: Four-time Indianapolis 500 winner, A.J. Foyt agrees with his longtime rival on Al Unser.
8: Al, to me, was an underrated driver. I think Al was a lot better driver than Bobby and all of them because Al had a good head on his shoulder. He was very smooth, and he kind of knew what he wanted. And like I said, I felt like he was always underrated myself. I knew he was a great driver, and he was a good driver, and he won Indy four times, which I was glad to see that. But uh, he was a good race driver. Indianapolis
1: 500 winning car owner Roger Penske says the Unser family is a determined bunch.
10: I think they came from a family that they had to work hard to get where they are. I think there's that, that gut inside uh, instinct to work hard to be a winner and be tough. And I'll tell you, they, they didn't take no for an answer. They wanted yes, they always wanted to win, and if they couldn't, they figure out how to.
1: Mario Andretti says he's proud of the battles that his son Michael had with Al Jr. while carrying on their famous family names.
12: Yeah, no question, and I think um, it was also uh the rivalry between my son Michael and Al who's pretty much the same age so you had a discontinuation you know and uh you know the second generation fighting as hard as the, the you know the first generation and uh, and so again it all sort of made sense quite honestly but um, it was so great to see that we all had this opportunity you know to just race against the young young younger ones and uh and watch them carry uh, the flag, you know, from there with pride. Uh, and as you can see, we had some great finishes together. Things that um, you know will remain for us forever is very precious.
1: Al Unser Jr. says that legacy at the Brickyard truly is one of tragedy and triumph.
5: It's it's on both sides, you know. My my uncle Jerry was the first Unser to get back here in in the late fifties and. Um, and you know the, the the speedway took his life and uh, and then you know uncle bobby got back here in 63 dad in 65 and then uh and then i came back here in in 83 and uh and for the three of us it's been just a true blessing that that we've been able to be so successful here at the 500 but it it wasn't always that way you know and and so um um with uh with the sacrifices that that we've had to make uh both as a family and individually with our teams and 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 just the the dedication and the hard work that that you have to put into this um you know we were fortunate enough that uh, that the good Lord blessed us with with the success, you know. You can you can see with the other families, racing families, the Bintenhausens, the Andretti's. Um, you know, they've made a, the the same kind of sacrifices that uh, that we we've, we've had to do, but uh, but we were blessed enough to 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 win it uh, as many times as we did, and so as a family, we just we acknowledge that um you know and and um and know that that we were truly blessed by uh by the success that we've had here and and um you know there's there's no other place like it in the world the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is 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 the top of of everything that uh, that I've ever been involved with and and so um it's great to be a part of it.
1: Bobby
2: Unzer, the Norton Spirit car number three, accepts the twin checkered flags from Dwayne Sweeney. Bobby Unzer has won the Indianapolis 500. And history is matched as the twin checkered flags come out for our second
1: four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500, Al Unser. Thank you for joining us for Heroes of the 500, the Amazing Unser's.